Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. I've entitled my message this morning, Prayer at Death's Door. Prayer at Death's Door. It's often said that uh, yeah, where there, when war is going on and there are foxholes, that there are no atheists in the foxholes, that uh, in the midst of the battle and the artillery and the bullets that are flying, there, there are often repeated and frequent prayers to God. Now, I don't know which God it is if they don't know Christ the Lord, but uh, there are a lot of prayers that go on when you're facing uh, a moment that in the next moment your, mo- your life may be extinguished. It's amazing what a man or woman will occupy themselves with. I've uh, had the uh, distinct privilege in being at, uh, at uh, bedsides of saints that have been knocking on death's door and to hear their prayers and the sweetness of that, very, very beautiful. Um, and, and even to, to see one man who stands out in my mind, who uh, his family around him knew him and uh, Whitey was dying and he went in and out of consciousness and his family all praying. And the, actually when he died, he fell into my arms and I was kneeling at his uh, bedside and to see that, prayers and prayer at death's door. Well, there are a lot of great prayers recorded in the Bible. You might expect that, right? Uh, and it is so. Some are short and some are long. Some are very long. Solomon's long prayer there at the dedication of the uh, temple. Uh, very, very long prayer. Wonderful prayer. Moses' prayer of intercession. Remember, God said, that's it. I'm going to wipe them out. I can't stand them anymore. Moses up on Sinai and, and the golden calf down at the base of the mountain. And I'm going to wipe out. Moses prays in the wonder of wonder, God hears. Uh, he was going to start all over with a new uh, elect group through the seed of Moses. But God heard his prayer. David's prayers for forgiveness. Don't you love those? Uh, They're recorded in the Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, where David seeks the heart of God in prayer, and and it's recorded through the inspiration of the Spirit in Scripture. How about uh, Hezekiah's prayer? You're going to die. Prepare yourself. Isaiah tells King Hezekiah, the godly king, and uh, he turns his head to the wall, and he weeps, and he prays, and God answers and extends his life, I think it was, what was it, 15 years. Amazing. God heals Hezekiah. God is able to heal at any time, any person. How about Jesus' prayers? We often call it the Lord's Prayer. It really ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Many churches repeat that week in and week out. And that's uh, certainly recorded. It's a great prayer. His high priestly prayer really is the prayer of Jesus in John 17. It, and he's praying for you there. If you, if you know him on the side of my Bible, Jesus in a part of that prayer says, I pray not only for these, the 11, but for those who will believe upon me through them and their ministries. And in my garden, I have, I have thank you, Lord, they, you prayed for even me. Right there in John 17. It's a great prayer. It's a prayer of the Lord Jesus for you and for me. How about uh, Peter's prayer for rescue? Remember, he's on the water. Talk about short prayers, right? Lord, help. He's going down. (laughs) Didn't give the long one there. He gave the short one. Help. Sometimes that happens. I prayed that one day when I was doing 360s down uh, 380 going through the Poconos. 380, I think that was the route. Uh, when I was dating Faith on a wintry night, what do you pray? Lord, help! <laughs> Don't have much more time to get out. Peter's prayer is a reminder, a uh, prayer for rescue. How about Paul's prayers for the believer? He, he, show, he gives them to us in Ephesians. 
He, he prays uh, for those believers in Ephesus that we might know the wonder, the depth, the width, the height of the love of God. He prays and it's recorded for us. It's, a, it's certainly a great prayer. How about John's prayers? He closes the, uh, our Bible as we know it, the book of Revelation. And Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's a prayer. He's calling for the return of the Lord. And as you look at current events around the world and in the, your newspaper and on Fox or CNN, if you can take much more of that, I don't know if I can, <clears throat> the Lord can't be far away. It is moving headlong to that point in time when Jesus is going to come. Daniel says in the last days, knowledge will, rec- will increase with great rapidity. Daniel chapter 12. People will be going here, there, and everywhere. Well, that sounds like uh, air flight and air travel. Jump on a plane and it can be halfway around the world in an instant. It's amazing. Never before. Think about it. We think, well, then people always do this. No way. The Wright brothers didn't live that long ago. And look at what's developed. And the movement of Europe and the growth and what's happening in China. And don't discount the bear of the Soviet Union. They're going to come down upon Israel, the Southern Confederacy, the Arab world and the league of that, surrounded with oil and all of that. And I mean, all the players like a great chessboard are put in place. John prays, even so come Lord Jesus and he is coming. And in the same way he left, he's coming again. And we are standing at the precipice of that time. Whether it's today, next week, 10 years, or within a few decades of time, who can say? But God knows that appointed day, it's a day like no others. Well, John's prayer. Well, Jonah's prayer, and that's what we're going to look at today, is, is no exception to these other biblical prayers. It's a great prayer. I will say it's from a unique place. I don't know if you have a place where you pray. Good to do that. I like to have my uh, serious uh, elongated prayer time down in my study early morning. It's always dark. And uh, I have a certain chair. I kneel and pray there. And, uh, and I meet the Lord there and pray for many of you. Pray for many of you already today that God would work in your hearts and lives, your families, as I know of needs and cares and concerns. It's part of my great privilege as your pastor teacher to bring your names and your family and your needs before the throne of grace. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful privilege. That's my place of usual daily prayer. I want to say Jonah had a, pair, a place of prayer that I don't know anyone else that had this. It's from the, from the, uh, the innards of a great fish. And he prayed. And here's the account that we're going to look at today. Jonah was at the brink of his own death, at least for all that he thought, Right? We know the end of the story, and we go back, oh yeah, he was spit out. So we, we know that, but think of it moment by moment, Jonah did not know that. I mean, for all he knew, he was the last Philadelphia cheesesteak that fish was going to eat, and that's it. And he was going to be dissolved, and in, in the, the nutrients and his soul depart from his body, and so he prays. It's a great prayer, and we're going to look at that. Uh, today. And, and it's good that we spend some time looking at it, because there are only four chapters in the English Bible of the book of Jonah. And if you just count the chapters, chapter two is the prayer. You might say in general sense, one quarter of the whole book is given to Jonah's prayer at the door of death. So it's like the Lord saying, don't miss this. He could have said in this word, well, Jonah prayed, and then the fish spit him out on the beach there. But he gives us, by inspiration, uh, some of the content of this prayer, and we're thankful for it. Well, last time, I just simply remind you, we left Jonah drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. I don't know if you ever had a brush with drowning. It's a terrible thing. A lot of people dream about drowning and wake up. The thought they can't get their breath, it's a scary thing. Jonah is tossed overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. Instantly, the sea is calm. He's going down, down, down. I don't think he took swim lessons at the Y. He's drowning, and he recounts that in, our, in his prayer. 
And, uh, and uh, why? Because he was fleeing from the will of God. He was about to learn, though, that God was uh, willing to go to great lengths to bring him back to that place where he had left, the place where he should have been. He was going to learn that the reach of God's arm was deeper than the Mediterranean Sea. And it's a great lesson for all of us to learn, and we'll see this throughout. The reach of God is our Heavenly Father in disciplining His children. To bring us, what, to the place where we ought to be, maybe the place that we've left, and maybe we've been gone for some time, and we know, and maybe only God knows, and you know. But God is able to use all sorts of means to bring us back to that place, that place which is, incidentally, the place of blessing, the place of joy, the place of fruitfulness, and fulfillment. And if, as a Christian, you wander away, and there is that tendency in all of our hearts to wander away from that place of obedience in the center of the very will of God. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We sing that. And Jonah illustrates that. In God, this book is about God, his sovereignty and evangelism, and his ability to go to great measure to get his prophet back to the place where he needed to be. Why? It reflects the love of God for lost people. Not only for Jonah, who was redeemed but disobedient, but he wanted to save, at that time, Ninevites who were living there in the city of Nineveh. And Jonah was his chosen instrument. He could not resign. Where do I go to resign? You might have said in work. Sometimes that happens, right? He could not resign. Jonah, you're my man, and uh, I'm going to do what it takes to make sure you show up. And we're going to learn that. He needed to learn that, and we do too. Well, there are three lessons as we too experience God's restorative work in our lives, where we too need to realize, and here it is, that life is never safe as a runaway from the Lord. It's never safe. The idea that somehow we can, we can leave God and abandon His will, His purpose, as His child, and be okay. And God will just have nothing more to do with us. Listen, for whom the Lord loves, we're going to see it, He chastens. And if, you're, if you claim to know Christ, and if you left the place where you know you ought to be, and you're not disciplined or chastened, i got news for you. According to the Scripture, you may not be saved. But God paddles, and there's ways to do that. And you can't miss this, because it's, it's so pronounced in this book. Well, the first lesson we see in verse 17 of chapter uh, 1 and that is the Lord's able to use dramatic measures to get our attention and bring us to the end of ourselves. Look at verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Oh, this poor fish. This poor fish. Some of the old writers write it. This poor fish. There's never been a fish more criticized than this fish. I mean, the liberals, they laugh at it and, and, and laugh at the scorn and deny it and tear it out of their Bible. This poor fish. Another writer said, I hope in the millennial when God reverses the curse that he gives the ability to this fish if he would allow it to appear to stand up and to announce, I was the fish. And it really happened. And he did tickle my innards. Really, so help me God. I swallowed him. Because he's so, he's so criticized, the poor thing. Well, the Lord's able to use dramatic measures. It should have been enough when we read, but the Lord provided, that's all we needed, he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provided a great fish. Well, our wonderful Lord A uh, does not let Jonah go. He pursues him. and He brings him back to the path of obedience which is through the doorway of repentance, confession and repentance. 
God provided a great fish. The Hebrew word for fish is as dag. Some of you heard of Dagon. The, uh, it was the fish god, actually the fish god that was being worshipped in the city of Nineveh. You think about how God worked all this. Here are these folks who were very impressed with fish, if you can imagine, right? And now the prophet is going to come here in a few verses, knocking on their door, preaching a message of judgment, may or may not have been whitened from hydrochloric acid in the belly of this fish, and uh, he's proclaiming a message of judgment. And the story got out. What happened to you? Where'd you come? A fish spit you out? It was to get the Ninevites' attention. Maybe God is speaking here, even using pagan their pagan background, where the living God was going to speak. Uh, God provided a great fish. And I noticed something else. It's at the right moment. Did you notice that? At the right moment. That fish didn't swim up there a day late. You know what would have happened if it was a day late? What would have happened? How long can you tread water, Jonah? There's the fish, late arrival. A lot of times we're like, God, it's right on time. I'm telling you, that when you read your Bible, timing is the backbone of good Bible interpretation. And God brought the fish right. Wasn't a day late, wasn't a day early, wasn't three hours, right at the right moment. And you're right here, and the things in your life are right according to God's timepiece. It's better than a Swiss watch. You should have confidence in that. Not only all your days are written in God's book, God's timing is perfect. And the, and the, and the details of our life, the minutiae that would certainly overwhelm us. And here God brings at the right moment a fish, a great fish. That's all that it says, a great fish to come and to swallow Jonah. I mean, uh, it, it ought to encourage you. He's going to swallow this disobedient prophet and third, we see that God is sovereign over his creation. This is his world. It's not yours. You may own a parcel of land and have the privilege of paying real estate taxes. Don't you love that? Can I pay even more? You know, I don't think so. God really owns it. He really owns it all. The cattle on a thousand hill, but more. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness. He is sovereign over the creation. And he speaks to a fish. And this great fish doesn't say, eh, I don't feel like it, Lord. He doesn't. He's right there. I'm right there. He's God Almighty. It's his world. It's an illusion to think otherwise. The moon and the stars, God put them up there. All the facets of life are his. Here, the boat. Jonah thought it was a boat of abandonment. They could aban- it was going to be a tool in God's hand. How about the sea? I'll, I'll, I'll off to the west. I'm going to Spain. That's his sea. How about the fish? It's his, his fish. What about the storm? God caused the storm. Uh, you, you, you can look throughout the Bible and see God's wonderful sovereignty over his creation. I love the story about Peter. Uh, you know, Peter's approach to you and your master pay taxes. This was a poll tax that they collected. And Peter's asking the Lord, do we... Do we pay taxes or do we get an exemption or something? I don't know. And the Lord tells Peter, well, go down and catch a fish. And pulls the fish up and opens the mouth, and there's money in the mouth of the fish to pay the poll tax, and which Peter did. God is God over the creation, or a little fish with, uh, with coin or coins in its mouth. Amazing. I don't know what that means when you and I go down and catch a little tadpole, you know, Lord, send me one of those big fish, you know, when you're down there fishing. The word is, how about when the ravens fed Elijah? God just, you know, sends him over there, a discouraged prophet, feed him. How about Joshua's long day? He's uh, doing the work of God, doing it God's way, need a little more time to mop up the enemies. And Joshua, and God uh, held the sun for a while. How about that? This is God's world. Get the right perspective. How about the great catch? Peter, the master fisherman, you know, the Lord's teaching on the shore. Peter's sitting, and uh, Peter, uh, drop the net on the other side. Oh, Lord, I've been, I'm adding, uh, 
I've been, I fished all night. I didn't catch anything. Drop it on the other side, Peter. Uh, all right. At your bidding, I'll do it. Kind of see him, you know. You're a carpenter. You're a teacher. You're the Messiah. I'm a fisherman. They got zilch all last night. And the draft was so large, they couldn't even draw it in. God is God sovereign over his creation. This is his world. I have to say that and underline it ten times because we live in a world that's completely paganized. It doesn't believe it. You'll never see it uh, in the media, the press. But it's the real world that God made. The ten plagues of uh, Moses and Egypt with the Israelites uh, announced that, that God is able to do that, to set his people free. How about the star uh, that led the wise men there at the birth of the Lord, there uh, hanging over uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the house there, giving guidance and direction. Uh, uh, this is God's world, and he's sovereign. And, and you could go page after page after page of Scripture to see that. And it's at his disposal, and Jonah was to discover that. Well, Jonah's time in the grip of death for three days, you know, was a great foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. He was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, and, uh, and so parts of two days and one whole day, three days in that ancient mindset, the way they thought about it, a little different than the West, modern day, was, would be the sign of Jonah that Jesus would announce to a, an adulterous and wicked generation that was rejecting him as Messiah. And so Jonah wonderfully four uh, pictures the, uh, the resurrection, death, res- burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Well, what, what can I say? Be for unbelievers, you should know this, and this is extra biblical, uh, Jonah was not the only person ever swallowed that uh, was recorded in history. I, mean, I know we went through an era of time where people said, well, it, he couldn't have been swallowed by a whale because the esophagus of a whale is too small. I mean, the end of the discussion should be God, pro- God provided a great fish. And it was, it was big enough. God provided an ark. It was like, what are we going to do with the other half, Lord? The ark's too small. It was just the right size. Well, let's just assume for the sake of an unbeliever who uh, is choking on the fact that uh, the whale swallowed Jonah, according to the text. Uh, you should know that uh, uh, the sperm whale, if it was a whale, it, might have been, it may not have been a mammal. It may have been a, a fish, as we categorize in our different uh, phylobiological categories, uh, which I remind you are not uh, divinely inspired, Okay. Okay, the sperm whale has an enormous mouth, 20 feet wide, 15 feet high, and a depth of 9 feet. Enormous. It would swallow whole squids. It's nonsense to say, well, you know, uh, it could not happen. It's not anatomically possible. Uh, no, that's not true. That's not correct. In fact, uh, yeah, I'll cite one example, uh, James Bartley um, in February of 1891, this was written up in the Princeton Theological Journal back in the 1900s. Britannica Encyclopedia has a number of uh, examples. But James Bartley was a sailor. He was on a whaling ship. The ship's name was the Star of, of the East. And uh, it was uh, uh, doing its whaling work off the Falkland Islands down off the coast of Argentina a long time ago, February 1891. And, uh, and James Bartley uh, disappeared on location. Was he in, on the deck? Was he in one of those little uh, boats that would go out with a harpoon? I don't know. But um, he disappeared. A whale was soon killed after his dis- disappearance was noted. It was brought next to the ship, and they began to uh, strip the uh, whale down, as uh, their custom. And finally, when they, uh, they took a lot of the blubber off, Oh, they would hoist the carcass of the, uh, of the animal up onto the deck and finish uh, their work. Well, when they did that and they sliced it open, inside was James Bartley, unconscious. Um, he was missing, but uh, found, you might say. Uh, but he was alive. Eventually, he was revived by seawater, and after a time, according to the Britannical Encyclopedia, 
uh, quoted in the, in the Princeton Journal, uh, he resumed his duties on board the whaling ship. So to say, well, that's impossible. That never happened. That's total myth. Be careful. It does happen. It can happen. God provided a fish, and certainly Jesus had no problem with Jonah. I mean, he used that in a historical sense that this is the sign to a wicked generation that rejects me. So for uh, the unbeliever. Well, see, Hebrews 12, 6, and uh, we have that up here. Just look at these verses that remind us, in fact, that God is able to go to great lengths to get our attention, to bring us to ourselves. The, the author of Hebrews wrote, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. He does that. God uh, is in, engaged in that. He's able to, uh, at his disposal, to use whatever means in his creation as sovereign to bring you and I to the end of ourselves, from our sense of running away from the presence and the will of God in our life. Now, God is able to use means to bring us back to himself, which are as undramatic as this is dramatic. You have to say, this is probably the most dramatic thing I've ever heard of, in bringing a man back to that place where he ought to be. But God is able to use even the smallest of things, and he does so. He knows what He knows the way to bring us back, and he does it. It could be our health. What are some common things? And you and I think about this. It could be our health. We think uh, we're uh, immortal. We're not. We're mortal means subject to death, you know, and it could be our health. Reminds us how weak and puny and frail we are. And it could be in our health or a lack of health that the voice of God providentially is speaking. God is wooing us back. And so we can't run as fast and as far, and we go like, where have I gone? What have I done? And we see oodles of cases of that uh, in life and some even in the Word. There are other instances. God uses finances, not to say that everyone that has a financial problem uh, is, uh, is enduring the spanking of God, the paddling of God, the attempt to restore. You cannot say that. And in fact, none of us really know that. It's between a man or woman, boy or girl, and the Lord, what God is up to and doing. Sometimes you can be walking with the Lord and enduring hard times. That happens. So you cannot pretend to know that. But just sometimes when there are financial straits and there is the, the quiet voice of God in our heart, where are you? Come back. Come back to that place of blessing and fullness and obedience to the will of God. And we know how that works. He does. We do. There are others. I've listed them. Our family, issues in our family, bring us to the end of ourself, our work, and circumstances are just a few to mention. Certainly circumstances was Jonah's uh, plight here. In the storm, then in the drink, then in the belly of a fish. And I would urge us, urge you, urge you to listen to the voice of God. And to lay yourself bare before him and say, Lord, is there sin in my life? Have I allowed my heart to get hard? Am I holding back certain areas of my life? Am I toying with certain pet sins? God will not bless you. You need to come back and be totally thrown bare, open heart, open wide before the Lord so that you can experience the blessing, usefulness, fruitfulness, and joy of the Lord again. Listen to that voice of God. Return to that place of of blessing. Luther called it God's merciful wrath in getting uh, uh, the attention of his children that are disobedient. I remind you that God's teaching methods are perfect. They're perfect. Some of you are trained teachers, and you'll take classes and and the methods of teaching, and that's a very common thing in pedagogy today. and earning a teacher's certificate and all that, and all the things that are available today with the media and and, and all of that at our disposal. Um, I remind you that God's teaching, he's the great teacher, and his teaching methods are perfect, and they will accomplish his purpose. Let's uh, look at Isaiah 55 
It's a tremendous verse. Look at this, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found, meaning there's a time when he won't be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God and he'll, he will freely pardon. Oh, he is. He is a merciful God. He calls us and beckons us to return to him. Oh, return to him if you're wayward and not where you ought to be, as Jonah. Well, there's a second lesson as we too experience God's restorative work in our lives. It's never safe to run away from the Lord. And the second lesson is the prayer of repentance is a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer revealing our brokenness through confession and thanksgiving. Jonah is exuding with a word of thanksgiving inside the belly of a fish. That's amazing. And we'll note that as we read the text. Let's look at chapter 2 and and read uh, this prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I'll look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the root of the mountains, I sank down. That's down into the ravines of the sea. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Notice this thanksgiving. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Wow, the prayer of repentance is a beautiful prayer. It's beautiful. Well, now we see, A, that Jonah returned to the presence of the Lord. We say, how did we know that? How do we know that Jonah's returned to the presence of the Lord? He was fleeing from it earlier. Remember chapter 1? I'm out of here. I'm gone. We know it because he's praying. He's praying. It's a genuine, true, heartfelt prayer. And isn't that always one of the great indicators that we've returned to the the very presence and to the face of the Lord? He's praying. It's similar to uh, Paul in Acts chapter 9, uh, verse uh, 11. Remember that when Paul was wonderfully saved, he was Saul of Tarsus and God saved him. And then uh, he took him uh, as a blind man to Anani- uh, to, uh, to a home. And then he, uh, he has his prophet Ananias. Uh, uh, he contacts Ananias, that is the Lord. So I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus. Paul, he's my chosen vessel, my messenger. And what does Anas- Ananias say? Oh, Lord, I've heard about him. I don't think I want to go see him. He's... Uh, He's been a, a persecutor of, of believers and of the church. And what does the Lord give him by way of an answer? He's praying. Uh, just that little terse statement was enough that Ananias knew that Paul was now in the presence of the Lord. He was praying. You see, uh, Jonah had fled from the Lord in disobedience in chapter 1, verse 3. It had been a while since he had prayed. Been a while. Why do we know that? Because disobedience always leads to prayerlessness. When you and I are wayward and not where we ought to be, we are not quick to want to go and lay our hearts bare before the Lord. We do not do that. We're not wired that way. You're not wired that way. Right? We don't feel like talking to our Heavenly Father. We're ashamed. We're, we've got a hard heart. We're running to do what we want to do. We're not doing the will of God. 
And so we don't pray. And if we do pray, it's very superficial. Maybe it's the force of habit. Whenever we eat, we bow and pray. We do a little scratch the head, and it's superficial. And it's not from our heart because we're not in a right relationship with the Lord because we've gotten off the path. But now Jonah is back, and he's praying. He's, uh, he's praying this prayer of repentance. It's a, it's a beautiful prayer. It, uh, it really is. Now, it's no different, is it, than, than think back when uh, you're, if, uh, you, you were raised in your home with a father, and he was a good father and loved you, and uh, you uh, were not pleasing him, and maybe uh, you were running into disobedience. You weren't quick to want to go and enjoy the presence of your dad and talk and commune and share and share the old stories and this and that. Nuh-uh. Nope. It was, I hope Dad works overtime tonight. Maybe I'll miss him. I'll come in late. Maybe we'll complete. It's the same thing on a different plane. That's just the way we're wired. And Jonah hadn't prayed, and now he's in prayer. Number two, he had abandoned God. I'm leaving. I'm resigning. I'm getting on the boat. I'm going to Tarshish. But let me tell you, when he felt as though God had abandoned him, in the belly of that great fish, guess what? He did not like that terrible, dreadful feeling whatsoever. And he began to pray this prayer of repentance. Can I say something? It was a taste of hell. You know what hell is? Hell is the abandonment of God forever. I mean, he, he runs it. It's organized but abandoned from the sweet fellowship and presence from God forever. It's horrible. It's the second death that means separated from God forever. And some of you here may not know Christ the Lord. It's a terrible thing. Abandoned forever in a real place called hell. Listen, people are either going to heaven to be in the fullness of the fellowship of God through our Savior, or they're going to be in hell. And that's it. And Jonah fled from the Lord, tried to resign, tried to abandon his presence, ended up in the belly of a fish, feeling abandoned by God, and was overwhelmed with absolute and total dread. I often think back of my... Uh, Father's recounting his father when he was dying in the hospital. Had no, have, we have no hope, none, that my grandfather was ever saved. And he was screaming and yelling. Can you imagine how horrible that would be? At his only son, as he was dying, his hand was turning black. He had a hard time breathing and was yelling, I'm burning up, and was damning his son, and he soon died. Horrible. No wonder my father had such trouble for, as a young, very young kid, I barely remember that. Even the pastor came by, thought dad might even be saved through that time. But it would remain for years later. He was saved later. But my grandfather, for whatever and all the reasons, was feeling absolutely and totally abandoned in this final moment, moments of death and was slipping into a Christless eternity Forever. How horrible was that? It was a taste of hell, and Jonah said, no way, and had brought him back uh, to his senses and to his God. Well, we might say, third, that his prayer is honest. It's an honest prayer. He sees uh, in it uh, the hand of God. He said that uh, though the sailors had thrown him overboard, now he sees that all of these things were really the hand of God. Look at verse 3. You, he's saying, you, the Lord, you hurled me into the deeps. And then later in verse 3, your waves and breakers swept over me, and I have been banished from your sight. Abandoned was the idea there. And you did it. He sees the providential hand of God in all of it. It's an honest prayer. It's not blame-shifting. Lord, I wouldn't have done that except my mother. We're big at that today, aren't we? We like to blame everyone else. Hey, that's that guy over there, you know? Somebody said that at, at Monday night. Was it you, Andy? Someone said, whenever you point the finger, the three that are pointing back, oh, that was you, David, yeah. That's right, pointing back. We're big at that. What happened here? Adam, what happened? The woman you gave me. 
gave me to eat, and I did eat. God, it's your fault, and it's her fault. I'd be doing good if it weren't for the two of you. Aren't we good that way? We're good that way. And in Jonah's prayer, it's honest, it's transparent, there's no blame shifting, and he's coming back into the very presence of God. And it's a beautiful prayer of penance and repentance and confession. He tells of his dire situation, and indeed it was. I'm going down, down, down into the deep. And yet it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I want to say to you, sometimes uh, the most beautiful prayers in all the world, if it's not for salvation, which is true, truly a prayer of repentance and confession, but uh, second to that, new birth, has to be the privilege that I've had to pray for those times with believers who have been wayward. And God has dealt with them and brought them back. And we've knelt and prayed or we've sat and prayed. And the beautiful tears of penance that, uh, that flow, they're beautiful. Those are some of the most beautiful prayers ever. I know some people will say, they'll hear someone pray, and say, whoa, that was a wonderful prayer. You know, and it really magnified the Lord and this and that in, in our worship or something like that. And, and there is a way that we honor God certainly with that. I'm going to tell you, the restorative prayers of the penitent sinner, the saint returning, are beautiful. Don't ever be ashamed of tears. I've talked with many of folks, and they'll apologize for the tears that are streaming down their cheek. Oh, Pastor, forgive me for my tears. Never. Those are, those are beautiful tears of cleansing and washing of our souls, which desperately need it. And such was Jonah. Beautiful, beautiful, simple, like the penitent thief on the cross, right? Lord, remember me. Wow. Lord looked into his heart. They're dying. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Beautiful prayers of repentance. How about Peter? Peter, when he denied the Lord, you're going to deny me three times before the morning is what he's saying. Oh, never. I'll fight to the death. I'll never do that. That's the way we are, right? In our, in our strength, we think uh, we're able to do more than what we are. In our pride, in our sense, no, Peter, I prayed for you. Satan's wanted you. I prayed for you. And he goes out, and Peter does, within that 24-hour period, just what the Lord said three times. I don't even know the man. And he cusses. There he is warming his hands outside the courtyard at Pilate's house, right? One look at the Lord. The Lord gazes across the courtyard, sees Peter, and their eyes connect. The master teacher, the one who knows the perfect methods to bring us to where we ought to be, and in that case, to, that's all Peter needed. And Peter, the text says in Luke 22, do we have that Luke 22 passage? The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And the Lord, the text tells us in another place, looked at him, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Peter wept, I have on your sheet, his way back to the presence of God. And all it took was a look into the eyes of the Lord Jesus at that tender moment. And later in John, we find the Lord restoring him. Peter, do you love me? Three times. I think it's because he, he had not only forgiven him, but Peter probably thought, I've failed, I'm no good, I can't do anything, I denied the Lord, what good am I? And the Lord in his post-resurrection days uh, sees Peter and he restores him. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You know, I labor under that. I love the Lord with all my heart. And all week long, I think about as a pastor, as an under-shepherd, the, the, the requirement for me to feed the sheep of God. If you know Christ, you're a sheep, and, and I'm, I'm required to feed you the Word of God and to serve it up, not church light, not to, not to make it easy to follow. Sometimes it's difficult. It's very convicting, isn't it? Amen. The Word is. And I have to live with the Word uh, all week long, and at points it beats me up one side of the street and down the other. And it's my heart to where it needs to be so that I can teach this from my heart to you. 
The Lord restores Peter after having wept his way back uh, in repentance. Well, B, not only did Peter, uh, not only did Jonah return to the presence of the Lord, he's praying, that's the evidence, but second, Jonah's prayer shows that a return to the Word of God. How do we know that? His prayer is filled with Scripture. He's returned to the Word of God. His prayer sounds like Psalms uh, 18 and 42, or at least parts of that. And isn't that common? When you and I study the Word and we're walking with the Lord and we're memorizing it, right? Then we're called on to pray or to give testimony. A lot of our words are biblical words and phrases. Oh, I love to hear a saint that's known the Lord for a lot of years pray. A lot of their words and verbiage are filled with Scripture as right well as it should be, and and Jonah's no exception here. He had fled from God's living voice, but now he returns to his written word. Isn't that true of all who repent, of true repentance? We come back into the presence of the Lord, we're praying, we come back into the word of God. Now we're studying it, we're opening it up, we're reading it, we're hiding it in our heart. Uh, His heart has now been tuned to sing God's praise again. This is true restoration. Years ago, I took a couple years when I was a kid of guitar lessons and uh, was never very good at it. Jay, you don't want me to audition, Hans. I, I wouldn't flunk out. Uh, I don't know why. I just didn't have the rhythm or something. But one thing with my guitar, I had to tune it all the time. Our pianos, not like our digital piano here, but our piano would get it twice a year in our home as we practiced piano and played on that, depending on the heat and the moisture with a sounding board, but my guitar was different. That had to be tuned about every time I took it out of the case and, and to play with it for practice or for lesson or whatever else. Maybe it was a cheap, uh, cheap guitar and I kept bending the strings. I don't know what the deal was with it, but it had to be tuned every single time I played it or it sounded even worse than when I played it. That's like our hearts. They need to be tuned. There's something about us every single day. They need to be tuned to sing thy praise. Why? We get out of tune. We easily do that. And we need to come back to that place of tuning, a blessing through confession, repentance, so that we'll sing God's praise and do his will and be involved with his word, even as Jonah now is back into the written word of God. Wow, it's beautiful. Well, the repentant prayer C is filled with thanksgiving in 2.9. Salvation is of the Lord. Now his heart is tuned. This is restoration. His forgiveness is ours. His is looking forward to the cross of Christ. Ours looks back, but there's only one payment ever made for sin. Beautiful. The prayer of repentance is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Don't ever shun that. Don't say, Lord, I prayed this prayer a hundred times, a thousand times. Don't stop. Come back and pray again with all earnestness and seriousness. And on bended knee is best, I find. Open the word and ask the Lord to root the sin out of you that causes you to wander and to disobey and not to be where you ought to be. Just like that guitar. Lord, tune my heart to sing your praise. Well, the first lesson, the Lord's able to use dramatic measures to get our attention. The second one, we see the prayer of repentance is really a beautiful prayer. And third and last, true repentance produces real change. Real change. Godly sorrow, Paul writes, leads to repentance. Real change in the lives of those who are restored. I say that because in a world that we live in, they doubt the reality of change. But God works in us to make us brand new again. It's the Greek word kainos. It means new in kind or quality. You're altogether different. Uh, it happened when you were saved. Second, uh, when we, we think of 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, uh, it says, do we have that first down? Did I include that? Jen, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, there's the word, new in kind or quality, not new in order. He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's when we're saved. Uh, a similar type thing occurs 
when we're restored again. There's a newness and a freshness from our heart out. We praise the Lord for that. Jonah is no longer running from the will of God. One man tells the deeper work of God took place not in the belly of the fish, but in the heart of this prophet who was disobedient. Not in the realm of nature, but in the realm of grace. Jonah is like one afflicted, pouring out the poison of his soul, and God hears him. God always hears that. Be encouraged by that. God doesn't say, that's it, that's seven times 70. I'm sick of hearing you repent and confess that sin. That's it. No, that's hyperbole. God endlessly will say that. Lord, forgive me again. Humble yourself with contrition and come before him and do the business of your soul and and you will find restoration in a change of heart. Jonah has experienced the mercy of God in a new way. He's restored. Restored. He's changed. You can never be the same again. How could you? I mean, the things of life happen. They change us. And restoration of heart really changes us. How about that? Can you imagine him years later telling his grandkids, I got a fish story for you. I'll tell you what God did in my life. I bet the little kids were sitting around, their ears perked right up. Grandpa, tell us that again. Yes, and don't you ever wander away from the Lord. How could he ever be the same again? He was not yet glorified. He still had a sin bent. But he could never be the same again, nor could you, nor can I. His voice in this prayer is that of an awakened backslider. And that's really what he was. In Psalm 119, we look at uh, this wonderful <clears throat> Psalm 119, verse 67, that uh, tells, us, tells us something. There it is. Before I was afflicted, That's uh, Jonah and us. I went astray, but now, look at the change. I obey obey your word, and that's us. Well, it's the picture of restoration. It's like uh, the prodigal. Jonathan spoke on that when uh, he was uh, here last August. The prodigal son sermon was a great sermon. and We'll often see that, but that is a picture in some nuance of that account of, uh, of the prodigal son returning. He returned home. As hard as that was, he returned to that place where he should have been. And that's the picture of that. It produced, uh, that is, true repentance, change in Jonah's life, in the prodigal, and in your life and mine. Well, God is finished now with the great fish. You notice that? He's done with them. The fish story is now coming to an end. Jonah is not a book about a great fish. It's about a great God. Actually, the theme of the whole book is, uh, is evangelism and the sovereignty of God. You can write it that's over the four chapters. That's really what the book is about, not about the great fish. God is now done with the fish, and so he directs the fish to the shoreline, the white, of, white beaches of the Mediterranean along the coast of Israel, and now God uses that same fish to deliver Jonah as he spits, the whale whale spits Jonah out, verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the beach. Well, now he's ready to deliver God's word, you see, in the hand of God, the instrument of discipline now becomes the instrument of deliverance. God is able to do that at any time. He's glorious and he's great and he's wonderful. Well, what can we say by way of lessons for our life? And we'll be done. Number one, number one, Jonah teaches us that there is no safe place when you're running from the Lord. I love to write that deeply into your hearts and on your foreheads and on the mind. Because we, we live with this illusion that I'm going to go do what I'm going to do and I'm okay. After all, a lot of people do it. There is no safe place. You cannot read this account and walk away saying, well, you know, Jonah was safe in the belly of that or in the, uh, 
the depths of that, that ship on the sea heading west. No, there's no safe place for whom the Lord love, he disciplines. It's the merciful wrath of God, Luther said. There's no safe place. None. We saw last time, we looked. you can run, but you can't hide. There's no safe place. We live our days before the face of God. We do. You, it's a myth. You can't even run from his presence. We talk about coming into his presence. We're talking about coming in to worship him, do business with him. But the reality is, as Paul said in Acts 17, in him we live, move, and have our being. No safe place. None. And we need to let this sink deep into our heart. We need to teach it to our, those that we love in our family. When, we, when we're wayward and far from where we ought to be, get ready for the spanking that says, I love you. If we're saved. That's a somber message. That's solemn. Well, that's the way you run your families, though, isn't it? Uh, Dad, I hope you do. I hope you're, you, you're the, the lead in this. Don't leave that to your wife and mother to do, the mother of your children. You know, you carry the big stick. That's the way it is. You know, I remember my mom paddled me, and we'd, she broke her wooden spoon, and my brother and I laughing away until my father came home. I was able to do that. Listen, the, the opposite of love is not hate. It isn't. It's indifference. Just let them go. God would not let Jonah just go and do whatever. And the same thing is true in your life and mine if we understand the Word of God right, and we do. In this manner, God corrects His own. He's preparing us here for up there, and He has something for us to do now. There's no safe place. Number two, know that God's teaching uh, methods are perfect. He knows exactly what to do to bring us back, when to do it, and how to do it. And he has all creation at his disposal. He can use great fish. He can use ravens. He can use the weather. He can use your health. He can use the death of someone near you. I had a pastor growing up, Orlin Wilhite, was in World War II in the Pacific and he was, uh, he jumped into, or he was in a foxhole, he and another GI, and uh, a Japanese soldier jumped, uh, jumped in, and it was going to be either he or his buddy that was killed. And at that moment, the Japanese soldier killed his buddy, and the uh, uh, pastor did what he had to in that terrible time of conflict, and it broke his heart. And he realized it should have probably been him because he had been a believer but was wayward. And his buddy died. And he made a vow to the Lord that day in that foxhole and said, I will serve you with all my life. That island farmer did just that. Came home, went to Bible college, graduated, and went back to the Philippines, and in his years there, planted in those little island areas, 15 churches, one a year for 15 years, in, in fulfillment to his promise to the Lord. God had restored him. God is the perfect teacher. He is. And he's weaving the tapestry of your life and mine together, and he, he knows exactly how to do it, how to touch us in the innermost part of our heart, so that we surrender all. All to him I surrender. All to him I owe. That's what Jonah's life teaches us. And that's what you must do and I must do. And we must do it every single day. And if it's been a long time, then come back. Come back. The days are fleeting. Don't waste it. Number three. Number three. Perhaps many here today, I just mentioned it also need to have a repentant prayer. Don't delay. Don't leave this place. If I can help you and pray with you, I'll do that. What a privilege. Come back. Don't be a disobedient Jonah. Don't have a Jonah heart. All of us have had it, are capable of it. Come back. Number four, 
true change is really possible for you. God alone does it. He'll change you, restore you, make you better than ever. And you come back to that place of blessing. Will you do that? He's calling, he's waiting, he's looking. Come back. Number five and last. Come to Jesus today if you're not saved. You need a Savior from your sin. You're lost. The wages of sin is death. It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 16, 31. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord and be saved today. Don't be abandoned in hell forever. Well, there are a lot of prayers in the Bible. Prayer is part and parcel of the discipline of a godly man or woman's life. It should be a part of your life. Jonah prayed. Little did he think a few days earlier. Well, I'm going to have that prayer meeting. I'll schedule it in the belly of a great fish. No way. Little could he have even imagined in his worst nightmare he'd be calling on the Lord from the belly of a great prepared fish. But God rescued him, went after him, and brought him back. Even at the very death, at the doorway of death for him, for all he knew. Wow. 